Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, a great journalist and a fellow lifelong Houston sports junkie, Stephen Curran. Stephen, baseball's owners and players went back and forth for a few months and ended up right back where they started. The season starts in a month, so that's good, but it feels like... Everybody lost here, owners, players, and fans. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's very fair to say, Robert. And my question is, what took them so long? I mean, these were the same players who said, just tell us where and when, Rob Manford. What was that, last week? The week before? I I don't even recall this thing has been – I mean, this is like a ping-pong match where nobody wins. And as you said, or or maybe a boomerang. You know, you throw it, just comes back to you. Throw it, just comes back to you. It's, It's right back where you started. I, I mean, I, I miss baseball, Robert, of all the sports that we we don't have right now. You know, I, I enjoy watching golf. I'm not a big NASCAR fan, and I, I don't really get into UFC. Baseball is the sport that if, if I'm going to crave, you know, not being able to watch sports, baseball would be it. But but I'm telling you, it, it's just the way this whole thing has, has gone. It, it's made me pretty cynical, I have to be honest. The NFL, I always tend to side with the players. I, I always feel like they're getting screwed. I always feel like they're on the short end of everything. With baseball, sometimes I just feel like the players are missing big picture stuff and, and, and they're asking for things that aren't always realistic. And, you know, I'm not saying this is their fault at all, but I'm just saying uh, th- th- there's some stuff about this that bothers me from a player side as well as an owner's side. I mean, it's e- easy to go after the owner's. And usually it's fair to go after the owners, but this this one and with baseball in general, it just seems like uh, they've got a history that players do uh, of not always taking the best tact, uh, you know, especially publicly. Well, it's very contentious and it's obviously become contentious publicly, which is never a good thing, you know, especially when it comes to negotiating anything, whether it's labor relations, uh, an individual, you know, player's contract, whatever. And I think what's being lost here, Robert, in the shuffle on both sides is the, the, the fact that this whole coronavirus pandemic has affected every industry. Nobody is gaining in this deal. You know, regardless of what business you're in, you're going to take a hit despite your best efforts. And, and that's, that's where I think, the, for me, the, that's where the real problem is, is that both sides are, are so consumed with the money situation or, you know, how many games should we play? Should we have extended playoffs? You know, the, these little things, well, they're not little, but compared to the coronavirus pandemic, they're pretty darn small. And I just, I think both sides have dug their heels in a little bit too much. And this is what we're left with. The fact that there was no agreement means 19% of all players will be playing for virtually free this year, earning $25,000 or less since they already received their advance money before May 21st and, or 24th. And also no postseason shares for any player as well. So, uh, you know, if you're a player, obviously this is, it, it, it's, it's not good for you. And, and the owners, I, I think from what, I, from what I understand anyway, the, the owners, they're not going to be gaining a whole lot of anything this year without the fans showing up at the ballpark, which that's not going to happen, I don't think, at, at any point. No, I, I don't see that happening. And, of course, I mean, the TV money will certainly help. And maybe the sports paraphernalia that they sell, I don't know. But, yeah, without fans in the stands, there's, there's obviously going to be a big difference and a, a heavy loss. But I, I don't see how you can have fans in the stands, especially, you know, if you, if you think about in Texas where – 
the the cases are spiking and Florida and and just other places you know th- there's just I, I don't see how anybody could could realistically have the fans there but I don't know stranger things have happened with this thing Robert as we're recording this the 60 game season starts July 24th or at least that's what we're hearing a 60 game season around well not necessarily July 24th but about that date so baseball gets Roughly a one-week head start on the NBA's return to play. And when you think about it, every game counts as nearly three games as compared to a 162-game season. And you know, Stephen, the Astros could have been the first team in baseball history to have four straight 100-win season if the virus hadn't hit. So that's another thing that, you know, lost in this whole shuffle. The Astros were trying to make history this year. And I don't know, do you count it if they win, say, 40 games or if they're on a 100-game pace? Does that does that count? Yeah. Well, no, I'm afraid there, there's going to be, if not a physical asterisk, there, there's going to be a hypothetical asterisk behind every aspect of this season, no matter what happens. You know, I guess the only way they could make history is if they went, you know, 60 and 0 or something, the first team to go undefeated. <laughs> I don't see that happening, certainly. But, yeah, it's it's a shame. I mean, they, they could have figured this out. And they, you know, to th- think about it, Robert, baseball could have been playing by now if they had just but both sides had gotten their act together, you, you know, even two or three weeks ago. And then certainly even more than that, we, we could be in the quote unquote second spring training right now if both sides just hadn't dug their heels in so much. Should I just start calling them the asterisk strows or asterisk strows? I'm mispronouncing yeah, that. Kind, kind of a tongue twister. The Yeah, I don't know what you would put to there. But I, I, I mean, with the whole cheating thing, you could say the 2017 World Series was like that too. So yeah, we'd, we'd have to come up with some kind of variation of that. All right. Uh, some rule changes with all of this. We're getting a universal DH this year. So no difference between the two leagues on that. And and I'd have to assume that becomes the rule in baseball by the league's next bargaining agreement. Also in extra innings, they'll start with a man on second base each in, in each inning, which, uh, Hey, the old baseball guys, I know you're going to hate it. Yeah. I hate it. I, I'm fine with it, which I'm sure surprise doesn't surprise you. And I, I'm like, get, let's, let's get through these games a little baseball needs to figure out a way to get through games quicker and extra innings to me, are just very long and tedious. And especially if you're in Houston and most of your games are being played on the West Coast, it's tough. And 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 it's going to be no different this year with, uh, I think, aren't they going to do something like an, both the NL West and AL West combination for the Astros? Yeah, they're talking about the 10-team, the three-division thing, I think, where they're, they're regionalizing it, obviously, where the teams don't have to travel so far. Uh, as far as the universal DH, I mean, I have always thought baseball was was being stupid when they inaugurated the thing just for, you know, the American League to have the DH and the NL doesn't. I mean, you're two separate leagues, but you're still under one umbrella of MLB. Why can't you at least make your rules the same? I, I've never been a fan of that division. So, you know, if, if we could just make it one way or the other, and I, I, I must admit, I, as a purist, Robert, I was pretty opposed to the DH at first. But I, I guess, you know, having watched the Astros move to the American League and just watching American League games more, I think I've warmed up to it. So I, I would say, let's just have it in both leagues and let, let's get rid of this silly division that they have. Yeah, the extra inning thing, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's just so far flung. But but yeah, it would shorten the games. Yeah, but, but what are you going to do in the postseason? I mean, think about it. In, in 2005, that 18-inning <laughs> that game with the Astros and the Braves, 
in, you know, the NLDS would never have happened if uh, we'd had run it on second base. It, it might have gone 10 or 11, but not 18. From my understanding, it's not going to be a postseason rule. And I just feel like no, the re- no. regular season games usually, I mean, in a season like this, maybe they obviously they've got a lot more value. But in a normal 162 game season, when you're going, oh, well, oh, my God, every game's huge. You know, in the end, yeah, it is. But there's 162 games and I don't need to see. 15, 17, 18 inning games. Let's get it over with. Let's move on. Let's quit screwing entire pitching staffs up and having to bring guys up from the minor league pitching staffs that I don't want to see play, to be honest with you. I want to see the best players out on the field. And if you extend these games, you know, you, you that's what you get a lot of times. It's like, oh, purists be like, oh, I want to see the young guys play and stuff like this. Sometimes they're young guys and they're in the minor league, Stephen, because that's where they're supposed to be. They're young. They're not ready. They're not ready for baseball. Well, that's right. And I would agree in that sense. And I guess if you're going to experiment with stuff like this, now is the time to do it. I mean, you're going to have an asterisk by this season, no matter what happens. So you might as well see what works and what doesn't uh, with a 60 game schedule. So, you know, why not try a few things, you know, try the, the, the runner on second base. I mean, it, it, of course they did it in the minor leagues. And it seemed to work pretty well then. I mean, that that it, would, it makes more sense in the minor leagues, I guess. But if you put it that way, yeah, why not? I mean, let, let's try some new things. Baseball needs some kind of a, a kick in the pants, as it were, to maybe market themselves better. Of course, this, this whole players' owners agreement thing has not helped it because they've just been sitting at home and not playing while, you know, the NBA, they're, they're trying to gear up. PGA Tour, you know, NASCAR, UFC, they, they've all started. Baseball's still sitting at home when they should be playing right about now. They should be not quite halfway through the season at this point. We got a collective bargaining agreement coming up, and y- you have to think this is, this is not good for the collective bargaining agreement. So we went through all of this, all these machinations over the last couple of months. All they had was time. They had nothing else to do. You, you couldn't go anywhere, negotiators. You couldn't do anything, owners and players, except talk to each other. What were you going to do? Go, go to Disney World? Go to restaurants? It wasn't going to happen in the last couple of months. And now, you know, we're talking about this is whole thing. It's going to start all over again in a couple of years because, look, th- th- it's obvious the sides, you know, they're, they're on a bad footing already, and it just got a whole lot worse. Yeah, it doesn't bode well for the future, and especially if you think about what happened after the 94 strike, how long it took baseball to recover from that. Think about how much damage would be done in this case if a couple of years from now they shut it down for another half season or even a full season. You know, they could do the NHL in, what was it, 2005, I believe it was. It, you know, they've, they've had a couple of different shutdowns. You know, hockey rebounded. But to me, baseball is just not in the kind of position where they could afford – either financially or, or especially from a marketing standpoint, something like this, especially the way they've handled things, you know, this time around with the coronavirus pandemic. All right, Steve, I want to ask you about just this whole situation, this shortened season from an Astros perspective. And of course, I mean, we're talking about all this stuff, but, you know, at any point, COVID could just shut the whole thing down. So everything granted is day to day with what's going on. But let's just talk about, you know, the Astros, if they make the playoffs this year, it's got to help that you've got, you know, old arms like Verlander and Granke that are, they're going to be super fresh. They're not going to have gone through 162 games. Yeah, they're going to be super fresh because, you know, they did have a spring training, but then they had the shutdown. So, you know, Verlander has had a chance to get healthy, hopefully. Um, they certainly won't be pitching 200 plus innings this year. So 
Yeah, advantage Astros. If, if, if you're a team that's got a lot of veteran players, you know, maybe it'll help Carlos Correa with the back issues he's had. Maybe he's had more of a chance to rest. I guess you could say that about every team probably. But certainly if you're an Astros fan, you'd like to think the Astros have just as good a chance as anybody, especially, you know, with if you have an advantage with something like a, a longer shutdown than you had planned to get players like uh, Verlander healthy. Yeah, and, and the Astros, they also can't afford the traditional Alex Bregman slow start. They, they don't have a month for him to get warmed up, Stephen. You got to be ready to go, man. Well, that's right. And that's something I know Alex Bregman would like to work on in any season, even if it's 162 games. You don't want to come out slowly like that. You know, to think if he'd had a monster April this past season, we might be talking about him as the MVP, and he came so close as it was. Here's something else to consider. Michael Brantley, Yuli Gurriel, and the Connecticut crush. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back to last week's show. But there was George <laughs> Springer. Uh, those guys are going to be free agents at the end of the season, Stephen. And with this weird shortened season, is there anything that happens this year outside of injuries that could maybe impact uh, whether the Astros re-sign them? Or do you think James Click already has got a really good idea of who's going to be back and at what price point? One thing I've, I've been thinking about is they're not going to have the wear and tear of another full year. So maybe you feel safer in investing in, in, in those guys short term, especially Brantley. Yeah, I'd have to say Brantley. And I, I certainly would hate to lose Springer. I mean, he's, he's your jump starter. Uh, I, I think that while a shortened season may affect that sort of thing, I mean, it's a good thing that they're hopefully going to get some games underway because to think if you had skipped this whole season, you know, you might lose a player like Springer or Brantley and, and they wouldn't have even played in the 2020 season for the Astros. So yeah, I think this is a big year for a lot of reasons and that's one of them, but I, I think Springer certainly and, and Brantley too, for that matter, they need to have good seasons, quote unquote, is, uh, you know, according to whatever the 60 game season is going to be to, uh, at least increase their chances. But certainly one of them is going to be back and it would sure be nice to have both. I, I just don't know, you know, with, with the whole financial structure of, of the losses that the owners are going to be taking, that that's going to be real interesting to see how some of these contracts play out next year. Also, as a noted Roberto Osuna hater, think about how much you, you're going to be pulling your hair out because now, you know, one save blown is like three saves blown. Yeah, I can only imagine because I, I remember, you know, I wasn't doing the show with you when the Astros got Roberto Osuna, but I do remember the episode <laughs> when, when you and RG were on talking about it. Uh, I know you've not a big been a big fan of it. And, and hey, listen, I'm not I'm not a fan of domestic violence any more than I'm a fan of res racism. So, yeah, I, I, but when Roberto Osuna goes out there, it's like you almost have your heart in your mouth. But yeah, every game is going to count way more. That's the thing about a 60-game season. You you can't afford to make those kind of mistakes over and over again and have you know a, a game or two to bounce back from. So a blown save here, blown save there, you know, giving up a home run here, home run there in the ninth. It could mean the difference of one game even more now than it did with a 162-game season. You're right. Yeah, I'm not even talking about his off-the-field stuff. I, I, I just don't trust him on the field either. That's the other thing. Yeah, well, just combining the two, um, I, I, you know, when when his contract is up, you're going to breathe a sigh of relief when he moves on. Oh yeah, no, I just I, not just breathe a sigh of relief, but just I, I will feel like uh, a little less dirty rooting for the Astros. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too bad we can't wipe the cheating scandal the, the way the, the way you can a player's contract, right?
Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I was thinking about, you know, when you look at the Astros playing this shortened season, it should be good overall because they've got chemistry. They've played together a lot. Uh, you don't have a lot of new faces. There are teams out there like the Rangers, for example, in the AL West that are, are incorporating new faces. And the Rangers kind of built that starting pitching staff for a longer season. The, the depth that they've got now, five starters. I don't, I don't know if depth in a starting pitching staff is necessarily all that important in, in this in this race. I think just you, you need strength up at the top because you have the advantage. Maybe you can bring back a starter a little bit shorter because you're not worried about you know, we got to stretch this out to 162 games, but is there anything else that you're thinking of when you look at the Astros playing in this shortened season and, and maybe what will, will, will and won't affect them? Well, I was just thinking when you were saying that, you know, the other side could be true. Like what if someone gets hurt, let, let's say midway through the season, they're not going to have as much of a time to bounce back as they would if it were, you know, say right now you're starting July when under normal circumstances, you have a whole lot more games left. So, you know, let's hope the opposite of the Astros is not true, where someone gets hurt and is out, you know, even a month would would be extremely pivotal for a 60-game season. Yeah, not only hurt, but, you know, if they get the virus. And well, that too, yeah. You look, you look at the Astros and it's like uh, the, the the starting pitching for sure is is a place where maybe, you know, that's something you're like, oh, these guys need to be out there on the field as much as possible because I think – the lineup is is got depth and it's you know it's it's built up over the years that the Astros have a lot of depth in that lineup and and they've got a lot of depth at the positions and even in the bullpen I, I don't think they're terrible in the bullpen as far as depth but the starting pitching you know it's Arkiti we, we, we don't know what we're getting with Lance McCullers but you know he had an extra half a year to rest that Tommy John surgery to elbow you know so it's like that sort of stuff is going to help them a little bit as well. Yeah, it should. I mean, we we're in such uncharted circumstances. We we don't really know how they're you know this layoff is going to affect someone like a Lance McCullers. You know, I, under normal circumstances, if it'd been a hundred sixty two game season, I I've always felt that pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery it takes them a good season of actually pitching. I think to get back to full strength if they ever do to begin with. But if anybody can do it, it would be Lance McCullers because he's a hard worker. He's certainly a very intense player, quite a competitor. If anybody could do it under these circumstances, he certainly could. Arkady was going to have to ramp up his innings as a rookie, uh, really his first full season, and, and that, that that's not going to affect him. So, so that's good. Uh, no other real Astros angles that I've got. You know, I, I just feel like, uh, overall, it seems like this shortened season is going to benefit the Astros. But uh, the one thing that you can say is it, it, it throws everything up into the air because usually the be- the better team wins. And if you were talking about 162 game season, you think, well, the Astros with the the talent that they've got should have won the AL West and and should have been a competitor for the World Series. But you know, one bad stretch now, and 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 you're in deep deep trouble. Well, that's right. And you think about it last year where the Nationals were, uh, you know, after 60 games. I mean, they had to come from way back down and end up winning the World Series. Well, you, you can't afford to do that this year because you you wouldn't even make the playoffs with a record like that. All right. The Astros, uh, you know, they're the team that everybody's going to be talking about. Oh, they're getting away with the cheating because there's nobody at the ballpark to 
to boo them now. And all that's going to be part of the conversation, I'm sure, in the next month. But also on the back burner is this Yankees cheating scandal. And that, again, it's been sort of brushed under the rug with everything else going on. It was it was, it was all released at just the perfect time. And one thing that I saw this week, again, uh, very under the rug, but Mark Teixeira, who was with the Yankees until 2016. So he had a few years leading up to that 2017 season, but he was gone by then. He said a few Yankees like Carlos Beltran, Alex Rodriguez, Chris Young, along with a few coaches, used video from TV broadcast to decipher signs and relay the sequencing to teammates. So they weren't doing what the Astros were doing, which was real-time relaying signs, but they were figuring out the sequences. He said players would share info with teammates. So basically, if someone reached second base, uh, that person was told to see if the opposition kept the same signs and if so the base runner could alert the hitter about what was coming so what do you think about that Stephen? it's not the same as the astros but sign stealing it's a slippery slope here it is a slippery slope robert i mean the problem is where do you where do you draw the line it's like if if you if i come up to bat if i come up to the plate and i'm i'm hitting against someone and i see something and maybe you're two batters away from me, and I come back to the dugout and I say, "Hey, Robert, you know, watch for this guy's face." You know, I mean, is that? I I certainly don't think that's wrong. It, it, but if if we see a video in the dugout of that, go, "Hey, Robert, look at that." I don't know. It. I mean, that that's where it gets a little slippery, I think. But I also ask, you know, where was Mark Teixeira when? Uh, you know, everybody was so against the Astros and what they were doing before they even found out before. Before the investigation had been fully completed, everybody was already taking their shots at the Astros. And so now, you know, with the Red Sox and, and now the Yankees situation, everyone's trying to cover up for them almost. It, I don't know. It, it just it, it gets awfully muddy now. But I, I guess that is my question. Where do you draw the line of what what is considered unethical? I guess, you know, not illegal so much as unethical and what is accepted. When is this stuff going to come out? I mean, I don't even know. Uh, have you heard? Well, not certainly not right now. I mean, if, if if anything's going on, it's it's definitely being effectively buried with everything else going on. You know, you certainly don't wish something like a pandemic. But uh, don't you know the Yankees love the timing because nobody's really talking about it. You know, we've we've talked before about all the coverage that was given when the, the judge ordered that letter to be unsealed is that it just it barely got any headlines because there's too many other things going on. Well, if they're back in a week and, and, and this finally comes out within the next few days, guess what? Uh, there's a bunch of media people hungry for stories. And that's something that if you go to a Yankees, whatever it's going to be, because guess what? Uh, that's the other thing, Stephen. Very important. They're not going to the Springs training facilities in, in Florida. You're going to your home city to start working out. And they're going to be in New York, where all the media is. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, the New York media is not known for being kind. But but they also, there's also plenty of people, though, that just like the Red Sox, uh, they they may very well try to, to still sweep it under or, or at least make light of it. And, and just because they're the Yankees, as you mentioned, I think more so for the fans sake, not not because it's the Yankees, the, the team but because they don't want to lose those New York markets. Yeah, but uh, the thing about the New York media, this isn't like well, in Houston you see the media kind of bowing down and uh, to Bill O'Brien and they can limit right, access right. to certain what but the Yankees it's there's so much there 
that you can't you can't just go we're we're only letting you know the the major networks and the and the Houston Chronicle there look you you can't just go well we're just going to have the New York Times and three there's going to be a ton of people out there and I, yeah I, I feel like that is a benefit for Houston because I don't think it gets I don't think it's pretty tough to bury something in New York that's that, that's this big a story and and that all connects to everything that happened over the last few months. Well, I mean, you think about maybe the, this whole Yankees thing will will quiet people down about the Astros finally. I mean, you don't hear as much now, perhaps, but you know, to think if the season had started on time, you, they they would be dealing with the booing and the jeering and, and all the comments. I don't, you know, you're not going to see so much of that now. But hey, don't you know the Astros? I uh, hope the Yankees thing becomes a real story. Maybe it'll fade them into the background a little bit, at least for a while. I'm also wondering about the Blue Jays because if people forget, the Canadian-U.S. border is kind of shut down because of the virus, and it was scheduled to open July 21st, so a couple of days before the season starts. But I don't, I don't even know what they're going to do. I don't know if they they work out in the United States, if they work out up there. How many guys were up in Canada as opposed to how many guys were in the United States? Like I, that. That whole situation, and and the, and you could delay the opening of the borders too, because guess what? The pandemic's it, it's it's still going strong. It's not gone anywhere. And in Houston, we know, you know, we're we're like a hot spot now. Well, that's right, and not not just the borders, but I mean, we're talking about going to other states. I mean, think about going to Florida to play the Rays or the the Marlins or you know whatever, and, and just going to other states is going to be an issue. You know, that's this whole thing, Robert. And, and look, I'm not trying to put a damper on anything. I'm just trying to be realistic. We we could start this season with all the things that we've been talking about. And just like that, it could shut down in a heartbeat just because there are too many positive tests going on. I mean, there there is so much of the unknown right now. When you think about trying to, you know, even if you created a bubble situation, which you, you really can't in baseball or football like you can in the NBA – but, you know, you're asking players to sit at home, not go anywhere except on game days. I, I mean, just look at what's happening in uh, the college sports situation. You know, players are, are going here, going there, you know, and even professional athletes going to bars and nightclubs. You're not going to stop MLB players from doing that. So there is just so much unknown to this. And the border situation, like you were talking about, and even just traveling from state to state is just one of them. Yeah, a lot of testing is going to happen. A lot of, I mean, I, this is all to be determined. Like I said, we're talking about it like it's going to happen because we're hoping it's going to happen. But you know, you don't know what what you do know though uh, that's happening in in the Houston area is we've we've got a little discount pro baseball if you're looking for a, a cheaper version and and actual pro players. There's a little story quietly going on over at Constellation Field. It's sort of intriguing, Stephen. Yeah, it is. Now, of course, I haven't been in Houston since the Sugarland Skeeters started up. Have you ever been to a Skeeters game, Robert? Haven't been to a Skeeters game. We had the old play-by-play voice on the show. Uh, he's gone. They're, I don't even know if they're doing play-by-play anymore. I, I don't think, think they, they were the, the last couple of years, at least on radio. I think they were, they may have been doing it on their website, like video broadcasting or something, but yeah. Yeah. So I, the only time I went out there was to talk to him. I haven't actually gone to a Skeeters game. I mean, it looks like a really nice ballpark. Uh, I'm sure it's fun to go out there and you know, what's going to happen if, if people haven't heard, they're going to host a four team baseball league out of Constellation Field. So don't confuse this with the regular league play that they're, they're usually in. It's going to work this way. The league's going to run from July 3rd 
So as you and I are speaking wow. just 10 days from now, they start up to August 23rd. So it's going to be a pretty short season. There's going to be four teams which will play 28 games during that span. The teams are going to be made up of former major leaguers and pro players who've uh, appeared at affiliated minor league levels as well as independent leagues. But this is where it gets kind of fun. The manager of the teams will be Pete Incavilia, who was the regular yeah. Skeeter's manager, but also former Astro and Longhorn Greg Swindell and Kobe and Roger Clemens. Yeah, how about that? I know Roger, something I read is that, you know, Roger's got a lot of commitments going on. So I don't know how much of a presence he will have there. I think I've heard that, that Kobe, you know, may be helping him do a lot of the things. But yeah, some definitely some familiar names. And hey, it's baseball. I See, baseball is one sport. I don't care what level it is. I, I mean, I'll watch a Little League game if it's baseball. So I'm kind of excited about it. And, you know, it is the Sugarland Skeeters. They're They've been around for a number of years. They were in the, you know, the the independent league. So, I I think it's great. I mean, anything that we can do to, to get something going, and and just get a distraction, you know, where people can watch it. So I'm excited to see how it turns out. I'm trying to figure out the the age here that might be the Stephen Kerr age range that you moved to Austin. But any chance that you were there when Clemens and Swindell were pitching over with the Longhorns? With the Longhorns, well, yeah, I was here when when Roger Clemens. It was the early '80s. I moved to Austin in 1980, and yeah, it was the early '80s. Is about the time that uh, Roger Clemens and uh, Calvin Chiraldi and you know and Swindell and those guys were here. So I, I didn't go to a lot of UT baseball games, you know, in person, but I certainly listened to a lot of them on the radio. Even caught some on television, especially when they were in the College World Series. So I got to see Roger Clemens, you know, in, in his college days. Same with Greg Swindell and some of the other UT greats back then. Yeah, they were teammates. I mean, people forget Swindell mm-hmm. and Clemens. So they have teammates at UT and they're going to be managing against each other. So uh, it's going to be <laughs> That's fun. intriguing. Yeah, kind of fun for Longhorn fans, I guess. Yeah, certainly. I think we need a little musical interlude and I, I've got the perfect song for us. So uh, this is what happened. I, I was watching the Oilers and Cowboys game from 1979 on YouTube. Yeah, you can go over there. See that classic Thanksgiving game, Oilers and Cowboys. Uh, people weren't alive back then, and I'm, I'm sure most of you were not alive back then because I'm just really old. But the, the Oilers won a huge game on Thanksgiving Day, and and those two teams were, you know, at the time, you know, with with the Staubach led Cowboys and Tom Landry, they were Super Bowl caliber teams at that time. So it, it was a it was a big deal. And in that game, they mentioned a song that I actually hadn't heard of. It was a disco classic sung by Oilers wide receiver Kenny Burrow. Oh, yes. Called Let me the guess. Super, Super Bowl itch. There right? you go. The Super yep, Bowl itch. I remember it. And it's, you know, it's actually actually by Kenny Burrow and the B team. So he had a backup singer. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. I remember. I used to have a cassette tape of that song. I don't I don't know if I still have it. Um but the, I remember the disco version. Do you, do you have it? You, you said you have a copy of it. Yeah, let's let's bring back a little memories here.
my goodness. I love that. It's a classic, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic, all right. Yeah, and and you know they they actually played it on Houston radio quite a bit. There there were a number of songs that came out that year. Of course, uh, Carl Mock, who was uh, one of the offensive linemen, he played center for a number of years for the Oilers. You know, he he had uh, there was an old country song called "The Wabash Cannonball." Well, Carl Mock actually wrote and sang the Euler Cannonball, kind of a tribute to Earl Campbell, but. Yeah, I, I think that, that one in the Super Bowl itch, the the Kenny Burrow version. I mean, <laughs> it's. I mean, hey, if Kenny Burrow can sing and and get a hit, I guess that's there's hope for just about anybody, right? Oh man, and Kenny Burrow, sweet singing Kenny Burrow right there. It, it sounded really good. Yeah, if you didn't catch the lyrics, let me just repeat them. Uh, Kenny says uh, Dante will call the plays, Campbell will run the maze, give it to Double O, which of course is Kenny Burrow's number back in the day. Hang on and watch me watch go. Watch me go. <laughs> I love it. I've got the uh, Super Bowl itch. And well, it should have won a Grammy. I mean, come on. <laughs> it should have won a Grammy. And uh, yeah, and if it hadn't been for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they might have been able to scratch that itch at least, you know, one of the two years that they were trying to kick the door in, as uh, Bum Phillips said. So, yeah, that, that was that was a fun time. Just one of the other fun aspects of that Love You Blue era were <laughs> some of the songs that players came out with and there were there were other parodies you know that other artists made but yeah Carl Mock and Kenny Burrow actually recorded songs of their own and uh, they were played on Houston radio stations you know quite heavily uh, during that uh, 1979 season I checked eBay and there are 45s that you can purchase of the Oiler Cannonball and Super Bowl itch they were four dollars and three dollars respectively Wow. So not bad. Uh, also, I found a 45 of a song called The Tyler Rose by Gary Smith, but I couldn't find the song anywhere. I just I have no way of playing any of it for you because I can't find it. Does that song ring a bell to you at all? I I don't have a recollection of that one. No, there was there was another song called Bum and the Boys. And I'm trying to think. And, and there was actually, oh, I know there's another song that I thought was a really good one. I believe the guy's name was Mac Hayes, and it was called Love You Blue, and it was a parody of the Beatles' Love Me Do. You might see if you can explore. I might have to try to see if we can find that song. I'm, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Love, love you blue. You know that we do. We'll always be true. Cause we love you blue. That was a pretty good song, too. It was to the tune of Love Me Do by the Beatles. It's called Love You Blue. And he was the one, Matt Hayes, right, was the one that did the uh, fight song. He, he sang the fight song? Or, or wrote it? Not wrote it, but... I... Yeah, he didn't write it. There was, there was someone else that wrote it. In fact, he wrote it for every team in the NFL, and the Oilers just had to have it. I believe he was the same guy, yeah. I, I think so. Don't quote me on it, but I think he was the same guy. We'll give you a little music here in this show, and... and uh... Just for a lighter side, because I, I, there's a this little serious topic that happened over the last week that I'm kind of wanting to get your thoughts on, Stephen. So this idea that the Texas Rangers um, might be getting a little pressure to change their name. There was a story in the Chicago Tribune about how there's this new book out by Doug Swanson. He chronicles the Texas Rangers history. And I'm guessing a lot of this isn't exactly a secret, but here's how it went down. He says the Texas Rangers, the, the real, you know, the Texas Rangers 
they burned down peasant villages and slaughtered innocents. They committed war crimes. Their murders of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans made them as feared on the border as the KKK in the South. Uh, and that's I don't know if that's a he picked that up from somewhere else or if that's an actual quote from him. But if you read it, it that's what it sounds like. And, and when black students tried to enroll in segregated uh, Texarkana Junior College in 1956, angry white people barred the way. They threw gravel and racial slurs and forced the students to leave. All the while, the Rangers stood by and did absolutely nothing. Also, when Mexican-American farm workers went on strike in 1966, some were beaten and arrested by the Rangers. Again, these I don't know if they're revelations to anybody, but it's its just chronicled in this book, Stephen. And there was a group in Dallas that included one of the city councilmen who protested it, the, the Rangers name back in 1971, when the team took on that name after they moved from Washington, which, of course, they were the senators. But, I mean, what do you do with that? Yeah, I don't know, Robert. It's such a touchy subject because everything is under scrutiny. You know, the, the problem is, is that was the prevailing attitude of so many people back then and, and even later. I mean, you go just think about the 60s and, and all the things that happened then and, and what's been happening now, even leading up to the death of George Floyd, how so much of this has continued to go on and on and on. So, yeah, I don't know what you say about that. I mean, there, there's about anything is is probably not untouchable at this point. You know, we talked, I think, on our last podcast about the Eyes of Texas and, and how that song is is under scrutiny just because of where it came from. So really, I, at this point, I, I guess everything is under scrutiny. You know, everything's off the table as far as, you know, what should and shouldn't be. And uh, the, the name, the Texas Rangers, is, is yet another one. It, it's like, you know, of course, we know for years People have been trying to get the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians and the Atlanta Braves and, you know, the uh, Florida State Seminoles and, you know, teams to change their names. And they haven't done it yet. But, you know, with with all these uh, things that have happened recently in our country, uh, really nothing would surprise me at this point. Yeah, it's it's that's one of those things you you mentioned, the the Washington football team. I'm kind of one of those people. I I don't always like to say the name because I just don't understand why that name hasn't been changed. That's that's obviously a racist connotation. Right, right, for sure. But I, I, I don't, I, I've never known what to make of the Indians or the Chiefs or the Braves. The symbols that they use, you can obviously argue and not just argue. You can say flat out that a lot of those symbols that have been used for those teams were poor choices or racist in their own way. But it is, if you call an Indian, a, a chief, or you say somebody uh, Indian, is that, you know, I, I, I've never understood if chiefs or Indians or braves, are they racist terms to use? Because if not, it, it's a way to honor their contribution to the American history and American, the, the continent and everything. So I, it's, that's always been a confusing thing when I hear oh, we need to get rid of all of those names. And I'm like, well, isn't it a good way to sort of represent them as long as it's not considered a, a racist term? Yeah, it would be interesting to kind of get the take of of the Native American population um, about that. Now, obviously, Redskins, uh, yeah, I've always felt that that's just how they've gotten away with it for so many years. I, I don't know. But that that that's obviously a slur, you know, against Native Americans. So but, but yeah, some of the rest of it, that that's a good point that you make, Robert, of of kind of acknowledging, you know, their greatness, especially when you're talking about a chief or a brave. But 
yeah, I, I guess you and I really aren't the ones to to decide that. Right. And, you know, that's it's interesting to see how that's all going to unfold. And I, I just am amazed that, you know, Washington still has the same. It's all Dan Snyder. Basically, it's the owner that's refused. And, you know, he dies. It's gone. Or, you know, maybe finally the pressure will get to him like it's gotten to everybody else over the last few weeks with some of the different changes and symbols and um, things coming down, I guess, in a way uh, in society. Uh, was there anything else? on the Houston sports scene over the last week or so that caught your eye or something that you're following at all? Well, uh, as far as U of H, you know, there, there's a lot of, they're, they're taking a lot of heat, you know, basically for the way they've handled this whole situation of uh, working out and, and not testing all the players. And of course, you know, now they've had to shut things down. And I guess uh, President Couture finally sent a, a like a real short tweet, you know, with a comment about it, what, 11, 12 days after. So, yeah, that's just something that's kind of interesting to me that, that Houston, uh, U of H has just been strangely silent on this whole issue up until now. And even now, they, they really haven't made much of a statement about it. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of the silence. Uh, let me I will say this, though. Let me just point out that we have teams all over the country that have had double digits, uh, some teams up to 30. I'm talking about college football teams, college athletic programs. Double digits, huge amounts of, of people that have tested positive in their program, and they are continuing. And nothing has stopped there. U of H had had six six players, and they immediately shut it all down. And you know, I have to give them credit for making an immediate decision on that. I, I, I don't feel like that was like, oh, it's about a public pressure because it was such a quick response to what had happened. But I also want to point out that. You know, this is it's very difficult. You know, I mean, I, I don't know uh, what you do if you're any of these schools. It's you're walking through landmines. It's one, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't type thing. And, and Rena Couture, the president of the University of Houston, I mean, it appears to me and maybe I'm wrong about this, but she doesn't make decisions on a willy nilly basis. I mean, I think she's a very well thought out. She's very intelligent. I think she in, cares incredibly uh, in, in, incredibly, I just feel like she, she cares a lot about the school and about what they're doing, and, and she puts a lot of thought into stuff. So I, I just don't know if I want to just go after her because they didn't test immediately when, when, when the players moved to campus because you can do all the right things. You can test when they come in, and then they go out, they go to the beach, they go to a bar. It, you're dealing with college kids. And, 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 and again, it's, this is we're in uncharted territory and yeah, maybe it would have been, oh, it's, yeah, it sure would have been easy if you would have just tested them when they, they came in immediately. But, but who knows? Who knows what happens? Well, and that's a good point, Robert. I think weren't, weren't they one of only two schools that didn't? And, and yet all these other schools did, and they still have all these positive tests. So uh, who's to say if it would have made a difference or wouldn't have made a difference? As far as President Couture, I mean, I don't, I don't keep up with all the university goings on from an overall standpoint, but I know a number of people have called her the best president that U of H has had in, in years. And, you know, she certainly, she wants to have a winning athletic program. And, you know, if you're a, a U of H supporter from a sports standpoint, you know, she's certainly doing everything she can to try to do that. And, you know, whether you agree with it or not and, and agree with some of the people she's brought in, um, like Dana Hogerson, for instance, <laughs> you know, they, but yeah, I would say, at least from my outside observations, um, She's done a great job with the school overall, but that that would probably be my one thing is why, why didn't they at least try to test all of those players from the get-go? But the fact that they did shut it down as quickly as they did, 
probably saved a lot more players from from getting the coronavirus. I was just given a text by Tillman Fertitta, and he said, uh, what, what, "What do you mean she brought in Dana Holgerson? You're, you're, you're yeah, you're ignoring okay, the yeah, real president of the school. You're the real president. Yeah, the the one who does most of the talking, Tillman Fertitta. I guess I better not go to his uh, Landry's or." golden nuggets anytime soon he might not welcome me right yeah be careful be careful what you what you say there <laughs> but daryl morey he's got total control over the the next uh head coach of the, of the Rockies. There, yeah we could we could talk about that all day i know all right in case anybody missed our throwback thursday uh we do it every week uh this year and, and we're, we listen back to our conversations with houston's most iconic sportscasters lance Serline, among others matt musel KPRC TV longtime sports director and and, and also former uh, Craig Roberts and also former uh, KPRC and ATT Sportsnet reporter Bart Ennis. I calculated these four guys that we had on this past Throwback Thursday, and they have combined to cover Houston sports for 140 years. Wow, that that's even more experience than you and I have combined, Robert. And we've been doing this a while, so uh, now that's impressive. Lots of lots of lots of good stories on that show. Make sure you check it out. And before we close this podcast, just a reminder that we'd love your feedback, your suggestions, your questions, your topics, anything that you can give us uh, to help us with the show or to make it a better experience for you or just to add to the conversation of the podcast. You can message us through Twitter, Facebook, uh, email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. That's all in the show description, HoustonSportsTalk.net is the big web website go there send your friends there to show them what you're listening to and what we bring to the table uh for everybody that uh, is out there we as we say every week just stay healthy and stay safe you're listening to houston sports talk don't forget to follow houston sports talk on facebook and twitter subscribe to us on itunes spotify the google podcast app or the stitcher app you can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.